So uh, today, though, we're going we're gonna to kick off. We're going to do a short two-week series, and that's funny when it comes to the subject matter, a short two-week series called Pieces. And uh, this is something that's been heavy on my heart for, for a little while now. And we're going to look at the life of Job, but we're going to look at the life of Job through perspective. And we're going to look at it and see how it applies to our lives when it comes to pain and suffering and brokenness. Uh, because to be honest, I, I've been very broken because of the brokenness around me, especially recently. Winter has been really hard and it has been devastating to a lot of people. So what do we do with that? What, is, what does God have to say about suffering? What does God have to say about pain? What does God have to say about why bad things happen to good people? Because those are all questions we ask ourselves, right? When we're hurt, the first thing is like, why God, why? When someone we know is suffering, it's like, well, they don't deserve that. It's part of life, but it, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel, feel great. It's, it's one of the worst parts of life. Pain and suffering is an essential piece of life, but it's one of the worst things about life too. But it's also where we grow. It's also where we learn. It's also when we learn to trust God. And there are just times and situations where we're going to be broken. Uh, I'm a big fan of musicals, all right? So I, I love musicals. And uh, last fall, last winter, uh, I got to go see Hamilton in Chicago, which is like something I've been wanting to do for a while. But when I was thinking about the series, there's one set of lyrics, and I just wanted to read them to you uh, because it talks about pain and suffering. And it's a moment in the, in, the, in the play in the life of Alexander Hamilton where his son has died. So it's about extreme suffering. And it says this, it says, there are moments that the words don't reach. There's suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and you push away the unimaginable. The moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier just to swim down. And that set of lyrics, I think, encapsulates pain and suffering, doesn't it? And it's at a moment in the play when he's at his lowest of lows. And we've all been there. And it hurts and it stinks. And what do we do? What do we do when that happens? Well, today, the, I'm going to read you part of Job's life because I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. We're going to read about what happened to Job. But I want to focus on this. I want to focus on two different perspectives of Job's story because here's what happens. Uh, as, as human beings, we have one perspective on things. We can only see things in a, in a, like in a timeline, right? Like things happen linearly, if, if you can follow that, right? Uh, you can't go back to the past. You can't jump to the future. You live moment to moment. It all happens in a line and it's whatever. Uh, but God sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. He sees things from the like 10,000, 100,000 foot view. He can see all of it where we can just see the next thing in line. And sometimes we can't even see that if we're honest, right? Like the fog's too thick, you can't even see down the road, right? Like that's what happens. So I want to talk to you about perspective. So I found these two pictures and I remembered this. I saw this on Facebook. So Tanya, can you go ahead and put up the first picture? All right, can you, can you guys see that? Have you guys seen this picture before on Facebook? I see a, little, a few nods and a few things. So uh, it, what, what does it look like? A rock floating in the air, right? Like it looks like the best action shot or, or you know, something or a UFO. It looks photoshopped if we're going to be honest, right? It looks completely photoshopped. But then Tony put the next picture. That's the same picture. Go back to the first one. Let people, you know, let it sink in. There's the first picture. And then the next picture. 
One's upside down and the other one's right side up. This is the right side up picture. So it's just a rock in a riverbed. And it's the reflection of the trees on the ground that make it look like when you flip it upside down, it's floating in the air. Isn't that bizarre? It's about perspective though, right? Because one, you're like, there is no way this is possible. Like that's photoshopped. It looks like some kid did the photoshop. If we're going to be really honest, right? They just cut out a little rock and they're like, oh, I'm going to make this float in the air. Yeah, good job. Like you can just go online and find all sorts of really fun Photoshop (laughs) moments. But this one to me was really incredible because it's just a change of perspective. When it was on Facebook, it said, turn your phone upside down. So literally you just turn your phone upside down. You're like, oh, I got it. It's just upside down. But we see things in an entirely different way than God sees things. God is all powerful. He's eternal. He, he exists out of time and space. And he looks at time and our lives a whole lot differently than we do. And he understands the mechanics of what's happening in our lives when all we see is hurt and pain and agony and all of those things. And he's saying, hold on. You don't see the whole picture. You don't know what else I'm doing. You don't know what else is going on in the background. You, do, you can't even understand what's going on right now. And to show you that, I'm going to read parts of Job's story, uh, and I'm going to read them a little bit out of order. And the, and the reason why is I want you to understand Job's perspective versus God's perspective. All right? So, so bear with me. It's going to be some reading. But if you've never heard the story of Job, you need to know who Job is and, and what happened in his life to understand why this is important to us. Uh, but who is Job? So Job chapter 1, if you're in your Bibles, you can follow along. Job chapter 1, in the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So who is Job? He was the good guy, right? He was the guy that was at church every Sunday, and he wasn't just at church every Sunday. He gave, he tithed, he loved God, he served, he did everything. He was like the man, right? Blameless and upright. There are very few people in scripture who are referred to like that, by the way. He was blameless and upright, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. You guys get the picture here? He's wealthy. He's got a big family. He's got everything, and he loves God. He's like the total package. Total package. He's got everything. Uh, His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their home, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When this period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would have a sacrifice burnt. Uh, He would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. All right, so here's what I love about this passage about who Job was, right? He's blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. Awesome. He's also very wealthy. He's also renowned in his area. But then on top of it, he's the best dad ever. His, his kids are partying and it doesn't seem like they're partying even in like a really bad way culturally. Like it doesn't seem like they're like deliberately disobeying God's orders. But just in case, he offers a burnt sacrifice to make sure they're okay. Like seriously, this guy is perfect. He's like everything we should look up to. Fears God, shuns evil, wealthy renowned, loves his kids so much. He, you know, it's like grandma's like, oh, I just never knew if you need something like that. And you're like, grandma, I will never, ever need that thing. You ever got one of those gifts from grandma before? And you're just like, what is this? And she's just like, oh, just in case, 
take 700 Kleenexes. Okay, Grandma. Okay, you know, like, it's one of those things. But Job is, Job is the man. So he lived a long time ago. This is one, they think, one of the very first books of the Bible that was ever written uh, about Job. And uh, that's, that's just who Job was. He was almost perfect. And then we skip ahead. And the reason I'm skipping ahead is because in Job's perspective, this is all he knows what's going on. He's blessed. He loves God. He's perfect. He's upright. He, he, he loves his kids so much. And then you skip ahead a little bit and you go down to uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, and you see this. One day... When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and then the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put their servants to the sword, and I am the only one that has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one that escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put your servants to the sword. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, do you guys get what's happening? This is like a movie scene if you think about it, right? While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. What just happened? Everything happened. That's what happened. In, in about five minutes, Job lost everything. Everything. All of his wealth all of anything he might have been proud of, all of his children, it's all gone. So if there's ever an example of somebody who's a good person and bad things happen to them, Job is the prime example. Good dad, good guy, love God, blameless and upright, and he loses everything. Scripture goes on to say, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, which was a cultural symbol of mourning. Then he fell to the ground in worship. What? Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What? In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And I read that, and like, I've got four children. They're little. And sometimes you rabbit trail as a parent, and you just, you get devastated thinking of all the things that could happen to your children. And then I think, this guy just had, he had ten children, and lost them all in in an instant. And I think, you know, when we read scripture, we put ourselves in the same situations. I think if if something like that happened to me, would I worship God immediately following it and say, blessed be the name of the Lord? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Amen. I don't think so. That's not our natural human reaction, right? And it's this devastating story of a man who's done nothing wrong, but loses everything. All that's left is him and his wife. 
And when you start reading, you, you start understanding that Job's wife is an interesting person, but that's actually, we're not going to talk about her at all today. But in all of this, Job did not sin. He didn't curse God. He didn't, he didn't do all of that stuff. And, and we don't understand how, but what we do understand is the devastation he must have felt. And we do understand that from his perspective, he's got to be going like, what did I do? God, what did I do to deserve this? Because we live uh, under this mindset like it's give and take, right? Like if I'm a good person, God will do good things for me. If I'm a bad person, God will punish me. And, and uh, I, I've long lived, like since I was a kid, I remember like if I'd screw up, I'd be like, okay, what bad thing's going to happen to me today? Because I, I deserve it now. Like I, I, I know I lied, so now later I'm going to get a punishment for it. But we can only see through our perspective. And Job could only see through his perspective of what was going on. And in his perspective, this is what happened. I was blessed, I had everything, and now I have nothing. And that's all he knows about the story. That's all he knows. But there were some things going on in, in heaven that he didn't understand and could never know. But God did. Because God has a different perspective, right? So what was happening? So bear with me. I know this is a lot of reading and a lot of uh, listening to story, but you need to understand the two perspectives to understand the rest of the message. What was happening? Well, in the middle of these things, first we find out how good Job was, and then we find out all the bad things that happened. But in the middle, we find out an interesting story. It says this, starting in verse 8. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. You guys get that picture? Isn't that a crazy picture? Satan shows up to talk to God. It's Blows my mind. Anyway, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? <laughs> Which makes me laugh because I'm like, you're, you're God. Like, you, you know where he came from. Anyway, but Jesus did that a lot too, right? Like he asked questions that he knew the answer to. Anyway, uh, Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So not only are people telling other people that Job is blameless and upright, but God actually gives those traits to Job as well. So they're deserved. It's not just what people were saying about him. Uh, and Satan replies, and it's a very, this is a very interesting tug at, uh, back and forth here. Satan replies with this, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds have spread through the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to the face. Whoa. whoa. What just happened here, right? This, Job's story is crazy. And now we're starting to get some different perspective on the events that happened in Job's life. Because the Lord follows up and says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, take everything he has in your hands, but on Job himself, do not lay a finger. So God allowed all of this stuff to happen. He didn't do it to Job, but he allowed it to happen. How do we rationalize that? But here's what happened. Here's what, what it was boiling down to is that Satan was trying to prove that Job only loved God because he had good things. That he only loved God because everything was good. He said, if I take away everything that's good, he won't love you anymore. And it became this test. And you know what? Job didn't know it was a test. And there are things that happen in our lives that we don't know are tests, but they are tests. There are situations that happen that test us and they stretch us and they break us. And how will we respond? 
What are we going to do in response to that? I'm not saying that every time something bad happens in our lives, Satan's up there like arguing with God. Like, have you considered my servant Steve? Like, he's perfect. You know, no. But every situation is an opportunity for us to prove our faith in Jesus because of who he is, not because of the good we have now. Does that make sense? And Job's life proves it, and it goes to extreme measures to prove it because we get this picture of the heavenly realms, uh, the heavenly realms having this conversation and all of these things happening, and it ultimately is a test of, do you really love God? Or do you love God because things are good? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves too, especially in the midst of suffering. Like, do I truly, fully, actually love God for who he is? It goes back to last series, right? Like, we may not always feel love, in those situations, but do we love that deep love, that foundational love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what we see from Job's story are, are a few different things. We have a problem. A problem with suffering is perspective. We have such a limited perspective on events. We only see what we can see. And almost always, things are beyond our scope. We don't understand why we lose people. We don't understand why people treat us the way they do. We don't understand as a parent why, why kids say stupid things to my kids and it hurts their feelings. You know, the other day I, I, I pick up the kids every day and I always ask them what their fun, you know, what, what fun did you have? What did you learn at school? And uh, I picked him up and I noticed Carson was being really quiet. Like usually he's all about telling me what they played in PE. Like that's usually his favorite thing. And he was just really quiet and really kind of, Bleh. and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Until we got to his backpack and we opened up uh, his folder and opened it up and there was two letters from his friends and it was apology letters for being mean to him at, at the playground. And these are his friends. And he's still friends with them and I think they worked it out. But man, I thought I was devastated when people didn't like me. <laughs> and I was devastated for him because he had to deal with his two best friends who evidently like on the playground, you know, and he, it's, it's kids, right? On the playground, they decided they weren't going to play with Carson that day. And it hurts, but our, our, our perspective is, is so narrow. As human beings, we have a, a finite amount of ability to understand what's going on around us. Yet God sees it from that huge view. Like I could put the timeline of history up and, and, and draw a picture for you. It would be that God sees all of it all at once. So nothing surprises him because he sees everything. Like you could get really nerdy on this, <laughs> some of this like time and space stuff with God. But our perspective is, is so limited, it, it, it hinders us because we want to understand why, but we can't. Why does it feel like they ripped my heart out and stomped on, on it until it just broke into a million pieces? Why did they say that? Why did they do that? Why did, why did that person do that to that other person? Oftentimes, we're devastated for other people. You know, to be completely honest, as a pastor, I get that. I get devastated for people all the time. It's called Empathy. I just, why? Why, God? So we have to start moving our perspective and say, God, I, I don't understand, but I also know that I have a limited perspective on things. I can only see a little bit of the picture, but you see the whole picture. And you know what happens? I've been in this long enough now to know that oftentimes these really junky situations happen, and I see people devastated. I see uh, relationships in ruins. And years later, People look back and say, oh, this is why. This is what happened because of it. Uh, this grew or it brought out something in our marriage that needed worked on or, or something. And because we're so limited on our, on our 
perspective, we can't see that until way later. Does that make sense to you guys? I feel like I'm kind of like traveling down the nerd, nerd path a little bit. But we have to shift our perspective a little bit and say, God, I can't see like you see, and I'm going to trust you that there is purpose behind this. When, if you guys remember when Pastor Joey was here in the fall, right? He said the joy of suffering, the joy of pain, and how that's an oxymoron. That's, that, I'm, I'm telling you pretty much the same thing, but we're looking at it a little bit differently. There's, there's growth that can happen. There's things that happen in suffering. So what do we do about it? What are some practical things uh, that we can do about our pain and suffering? How do we deal? How do we deal with suffering? And that's hard, right? Because some of us are internal processors and we'll just like complete shutdown mode. Some of us are verbal processors. Some of us just get angry. We all process things differently. But are, are there some practical things that all of us can apply to our lives? Yes, there are, I think. So I've got, I've got a few that we're going to, uh, I'll, I'll go through here quickly with you. But just some things we can do in our life when we encounter suffering and pain and hardship. And the first one is this, and I've said this before, but remember our limited perspective. We can only see a little bit of the picture. It's like having, you know, one or two puzzle pieces out of the entire puzzle. And you don't know how they go together or how they interlock with everything else around you, but they're an essential piece of what's going on. Isaiah uh, 55, 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Perspective, right? We can't get on God's level. We can't get on God's level. The second thing we can do to practically help us when we're suffering and dealing with uh, difficult situations is this, to keep going back to things you know to be true from God's word and rely on the resources that we find there that we've been given. Scripture is so important in these times because we think our situation is unique, but then we start looking at Scripture and we're like, oh, hey, that guy knows how I feel. The psalmist understood how I felt and encapsulated it. We can understand that we are not alone. There are truths in scriptures that we can hold on to, that God is love, that God has a plan. And when I talk about resources, we can talk about things that God gives us freely, that God gives us grace, that we have the ability to serve, that God is all-powerful. We don't have to rely on our own strength in these situations. That the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us and give us strength and courage and boldness in all of these situations. And that we have God's word to keep us grounded and give us perspective to look at things from a different light. It's so easy when we're hurt and suffering to pull away from people and to pull away from God. Because even if God didn't hurt us, we, we likely attribute it to like, why did you let it happen? Why did you do this to me? Why, 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 why? Like, you know, like really to God, we're, we're the annoying three-year-old that's like, why, 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 why? But you know what? He's big enough to take it. That's what's awesome. He's like, go back to scripture. I'll tell you why. Go back. Trust my Holy Spirit to guide you. I have power when you don't have power. I have strength when you don't have strength. I can do those things. So we have to keep going back to God's word and rely on what it says there. We can also do this. We can also remember times in the past when the Lord delivered us or rescued us. One of the biggest things we can do, and honestly, sometimes one of the most difficult things is to look back at me like, you know what? This is a terrible situation, but I remember when this happened and God came through for me. I remember when this happened and God took care of me. I remember when that happened and I felt so bad, but God got me through it. 
And there's something to be said about remembering and looking back on what God has done. The psalmist did it very often. David and the other psalmists would, would always recount the glories of God and times that God came through. Uh, Psalm 22, 1 through 5 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, time out, does that sound familiar to you? Because it's what Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross. So while he was suffering on the cross, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. Side note, that's a side sermon. Bonus, bonus content. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Okay, so what is that? I hurt. Where are you? Why does it feel like you're not there? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. Uh, when we're really suffering and we're really depressed and we're dealing with some stuff, doesn't, isn't that what it feels like? You're not there. I, I, I talk to you. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. At night, I can't sleep because I'm trying to process, and you're just not there. Nothing's changed, right? This is thousands of years ago, and here we are, and we do the same thing. But he goes on to say this. He says, but you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And this is where he remembers, right? The psalmist remembers. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and they were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. So the psalmist does a few things, right? He tells God how he feels, which is super important for us to do. And then he goes on to say, but I remember. I remember when you came through. I remember when you took care of my family. I remember when we had no money, yet we always had food. I remember when we had no money, but dad always seemed to find that odd job to take care of things. I remember those moments. We grew up poor. And my dad worked a lot of odd jobs, and we didn't have a whole lot, but we always had food. And uh, I, I still remember, like, mom and dad trying to think of vacation, which our vacations were always, like, visiting family. Anybody ever grow up, like, that level poor with me? Like... Your vacation was visiting grandpa and grandma, and that's what you called it. But even that, it was a two-hour drive, and I remember my parents, when gas was 89 cents a gallon, asking, uh, do we have enough money to pay for gas to get us there? But God always came through. God always came through. So when I suffer and I feel like things are down, I remember the times that God's come through in my life. And it's difficult to do, but it's essential to celebrate the victories we've already experienced. And the final like, practical thing we can do this is to remember that you are not alone in your suffering. And this is probably the easiest hole to fall into. I'm by myself. I can't do it. Nobody else feels like me. Nobody else has experienced this. And it's really easy to fall in that trap and just believe that. Believe that you're alone. And today, some, somebody in here just needs to hear, you're not. You're not alone. You're not alone on so many different levels. Number one is Christ. Jesus suffered for us. He understands suffering. There's chunks of Isaiah, and they're called the suffering servant. And they're all prophecies about Christ. He gets it. We have Christ. We also have the body of Christ, which is the church. You have the people around you. You're not alone, but sometimes we feel that way so we don't ask for help. The church is, is a hospital. I, I said that earlier, right? That it's a hospital. It's for broken and hurting people. And maybe we just need to admit that we are broken and hurting and we need to talk to somebody. And then also scripture references the, the community of sufferers. 
And I, and I found this fascinating, but understanding that there are people suffering all over the world. And in our suffering, there's unity. And understanding that we're not alone. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that, uh, you know, everything's going to be great. God has a plan. Like I could quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to you. Like I could, I, could, I could do some of those things. But I think today that the, the takeaway of today's message is understanding perspective and that you are not alone. We will maybe on this earth never understand why things happen the way they happen. But we have such a limited, narrow perspective on all the events that happen in our lives. We have such a limited perspective. But we can understand that God sees everything. He knows everything. He understands why. He weaves everything together in such a beautiful way. But we don't get to see it most of the time. We're left picking up pieces. Wondering, where does this fit? (laughs) Right? How how is this going to work in your plan? Uh, The author Donald Miller said that somehow we realize that great stories are told in conflict, but we are unwilling to embrace the potential greatness of the story we are actually in. We think God is unjust rather than a master storyteller. To me, that's a fascinating, fascinating quote because there are so many layers to that. We understand conflict and suffering are part of life, yet when it happens in our lives, we, we don't want to embrace the growth that could happen from it. We don't want to embrace the different perspective we could see. Uh, we feel deeply. We're human beings. We feel deeply, and we feel hurt, and we feel devastated, and we feel alone. Yet God is weaving together a beautiful picture that we can't see. And that's perspective. So today, here's, here's how we're going to close Uh, We're going to close a little bit differently. Would you just sit where you're at? Would you just close your eyes? If it's your first...